the Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. Well, welcome senior golfers to episode one, our first recorded show. I'm very excited to have this opportunity to talk to you senior golfers out there. And when you're listening to this, this would have happened right after the Masters. It's spring, it's warming up in most of the parts of the country, and golf is creeping back into everybody's mindset, which is great. Unless, of course, you've been out in Florida, Arizona, Southern California, one of those warm spots. But most of you are probably just climbing back into golf. And as such, uh, senior golfers, maybe we're a little bit stiff, a little bit tight. Maybe the body's not moving quite like we'd like to. So today, I am absolutely delighted to have with us Chris Finn. Chris Finn is the founder of Par for Success. They're located in the state of North Carolina. And since we talked about bringing experts each and every week to the show, Chris is regarded as the premier golf fitness, performance, and medical expert in the great state of North Carolina. Chris, thank you for jumping in and being our first guest. So Chris, I'm going to start off. On your website, you mentioned your organization, Par for Success, believes in doing things differently and challenging the status quo in golf, fitness, and health care. Tell me just a little bit about that and what that might mean for senior golfers listening in. Yeah, I think the mission or the, a lot of the values that we've started our company on that we kind of come to work every day with is that we're not okay just doing things the way things have always been done. You know, unless you know, we're big on testing things, as we'll talk about today. And I think it's important, you know, just the way that golf fitness was developed and has grown has a lot of influence from the instructional world. And a lot of that was, you know, well, if X person does it and they work with the best player in the world, then everybody should do it that way. And that was kind of the extent of the litmus test of, <laughs> of if stuff worked. You know, and I think when you're comparing, you know, if we're talking specifically to your senior golfers out there, you know, you're probably... 30, 40, you know, maybe 50 years older than the guys that a lot of the golf fitness information was developed with. And it really was not tested significantly well. There hasn't been a lot of legitimate good research published or done you know, on a large sample of golfers. So what we've really decided to do in our practice is we kind of approach every exercise, every intervention that we apply with it. We come from a place of curiosity and ask ourselves, well, how do we know that really works? And how do we know that's really the best way for that to do that? And if we're seeing good results, then we want to know, well, why is that happening? And we just continually ask ourselves, you know, why and how, <laughs> and how can we make that better? And that's kind of drives us every day to continue digging deeper and challenging kind of what has normally just been accepted of, you know, hey, if you want to swing faster, you need to do core, you need to get your core stronger. Well, how do we know that? And how do we, you know, has anyone actually tested if one group does some core work and another group doesn't do some core work, you know, how do we know that the core work was actually what made them swing faster or what actually made their back stop hurting? And so that's where really everything that we do, we try to make it where it's research you know, interventions that are actually applicable to the majority of the golfers, the 99%, the junior golfers, the senior golfers, and you know, not just the elites. And, you know, and then share that information with the world. So a lot of people in our industry don't share their information. All of our information is publicly available, and I think that only is better for the game and better for your listeners and just better in general for, for anyone out there who's wanting to stay healthy and stay active and enjoying the game of golf that we all love. So this testing and research that you do, 
Do you actually have a lot of seniors in your practice that you're able to get some data from? That's actually one of the majority. And we have two big groups of golfers that we work with. And the two biggest are your junior golfers. So you're kind of think of your 10 to 18 year olds. And then our other biggest, it's actually probably even bigger than that group is our, you know, our 50 to 75, 80 year old golfers who, you know, they're getting to a later stage in life where they have time to play golf. They maybe have more money to spend on the game of golf. You know, they've worked really hard their entire lives and they're excited to kind of enjoy the next phase of life. So I would say that's honestly probably the majority of the golfers that we work with. So we titled the theme of today's show, actually a quote that you gave me when we were talking on the phone uh, several weeks ago. You said that the phrase, I'm too old to get better, ought to be banned from the game. So what do you know that uh, is leading to you to say that? I think first and foremost, it's just personal experience working with a lot of you know senior golfers. I have the clinical of just seeing that not be true. And then further actually having the data of hundreds of senior golfers to then back that up on an empirical basis as well. So I can use a simple case study where I have a member right now we've been working with for about six years. He's 71 or 72 years old at this point, and he has gotten faster every single year. So his club head speed, I think when he started was probably, I think it was about you know maybe mid high 80s. So it wasn't great. And he was, when he started, he was probably mid 60s. So, you know, on our data standpoint, he would have been probably 30th to 40th percentile in terms of golfers his age. And he has every year gotten faster and faster and faster just through continued effort of keeping his tissue healthy, of monitoring, making sure that his mobility is good, and particularly in those four main rotary centers. And by using intelligent sports science, he's up swinging. He just hit a new PR a couple of weeks ago, right around 99 miles an hour, which puts him above the 90th percentile. And that's just somebody who's just made the decision that I want to play golf for as well as I can for as many years as possible. And he shows up three to four times a week to exercise and it's not kicking his butt every single day. It's some days it's more mobility based, some days it's speed based, some days it's strength based, but it's a matter of him just kind of sticking to the program and committing to it. And this was a guy who was probably 50 pounds overweight and moved terribly. (laughs) If he can do it, anybody can do it. He's that guy or that example. You know, another example I had was a woman who was right around 80 years old and she was about to give up the game of golf because she could only hit the ball. I think it was like I think her drive went about 120 yards. And so she came in and for 12 weeks, we just worked on getting her stronger. We worked on kind of getting her nervous system to move faster. We worked on fixing a little bit of mobility limitation that she had. And three or four years later, I get an email every spring of her thanking me for, you know, adding another year to her golf life. You know, she hits the ball. She doesn't crush it, but she hits it, you know, 160 to 180 yards off the tee now, which means it's enjoyable and playable for her. So I think with those two examples, you can't tell me that age is the reason why you can't continue to play. Now, if you've had extreme medical issues or scenarios, like there's definitely some cases where that's applicable. But to just surely say, oh, I'm getting tight, I'm losing power, and that's just because I'm getting old, that's just a cop-out. So was there anything you saw, those are two excellent examples, but in those two examples, was there anything you saw that seemed to be consistent that they were doing or the belief systems that they had or anything like that that seem to be common and perhaps common in other seniors that you see getting great output and results from this kind of training? Yeah, I think they both had a very similar mindset leading up to the point where they made the decision to come in and do something about it. I think up to that point, it was, you know, this is just the normal aging process. We're going to lose 10 yards, you know, every decade or 10 miles an hour every decade, you know, I'm going to lose distance. They just had accepted that as a fact of life. 
when in fact there, there's no real proof that that can't be avoided or can't be delayed. So I think that was a very common thing that they both had. It was mother nature or father time versus them and father time was, was going to win at his pace, at his decided pace. And I think the common decision that they made was, hey, let's challenge father time. Let's see if we can make him wait a little bit. And in doing that, I think they both came in from a philosophy of what they did that has worked for them. They addressed the quality of their tissue first and foremost. So as we get older, our tissue gets less elastic. I uh, think of like a, a brand new rubber band that you just you know that you just bought versus one that's been sitting in your drawer for five years. The one that's been sitting in the drawer for five years is a little bit more brittle. And so I think as you get older, your tissue tends to trend that way. And another great analogy or visual is if you think of you know when we're 18, 20 years old, our tissue kind of looks like prime rib. When we get into the you know 60s, 70s, it starts looking a little bit more like beef jerky. So you know our goal is through a lot of tissue work is to try to keep it more towards that brand new rubber band, more towards that prime rib, as long as we can away from the beef jerky and the brittle band. So that's the first thing that they both did was address that. So think prime rib, always a good thought to have. So you're talking about rubber bands and crinkly rubber bands and smooth rubber bands. Reminds me of what got me on my own pattern and journey here. And perhaps there's a story similar to many of our listeners. So I was retired a couple of years ago, 40 years in the corporate world. But boy, was I excited when I retired because I was going to get to play a lot more golf. Well, I quickly found out I was more like that crinkly, dried up rubber band in the drawer. And I found myself getting hurt quite a bit as I began to start to play more golf and even trying to do some of my own fitness. There's probably a lot of seniors out there that may have a story somewhat similar to that. What would you say to them as they're just getting started to ramp up on much more golf activity and kind of thinking back to those two individuals that you said had this mindset that they were going to challenge father time? Yeah, I think that's where the first step is getting the quality of the tissue as good as you can because there's lots of you know speed products and programs. There's lots of golf fitness programs out there that people can get into. But I think unless they address the quality of their tissue, that it doesn't matter what you throw on top of it. <laughs> I always use the analogy, if, if you think you're going to build your dream $5 million house, and then you buy a lot of quicksand and you try to build it on the quicksand, it doesn't matter how nice the material was that you imported from Italy. It's all going to be underground in about an hour. So it doesn't matter what program somebody does. It doesn't matter you know, what tool they buy. If the underlying tissue quality is not good, the results are going to be limited. And honestly, most of the injuries that we see are because of that poor tissue quality. So that's step one, I think. And then step two is simply, if you think about it, is you have, in order to play golf, you have to rotate. And if we think of four main rotary centers, all golfers have to rotate at their hips, at their thoracic spine, at their shoulders, and at their neck. There's obviously argument that you rotate in lots of other areas, and I agree. But those are the big four that most of the rotation is going to come from. So if you fail the ability to rotate fully into each of your hips, you know, rotate turning wise in your thoracic spine, rotate your shoulders externally so that you can kind of set the club and then get it down into the slot as you come through impact. And then also, if you don't have the ability to rotate your neck, then it's going to be very difficult to keep your head relatively still. You're going to have to come off the ball pretty significantly. If you're limited to any of those four areas, you're going to have to substitute either standing up out of posture or swaying and sliding side to side. So you either introduce up and down or left and right to compensate for those lacks of rotational mobility. So I think that's the first two spots that you really need to look at. Number one is going to be the tissue quality. And that's, you know, people have heard of foam rolling. There's definitely um, 
specific ways that you want to be doing that to be the most effective. But then the second is going to be assessing those four rotary centers. And we have a home assessment people can do off of our website if you want to link to that. It takes less than five minutes and they can kind of see how good am I in each of those four areas. And then they just send us how they did and we'll send them some simple fixes. Right then and there, if they're taking care of their tissue and they address those rotary centers, they've already, in my opinion, started to at least become aware and address those first two areas. And if you don't address those two, in my opinion, nothing else really matters in terms of you haven't really done anything that's really going to elongate your playing career or reduced your chance of injury. And the nice side benefit of addressing those first two levels is you will see speed improvements and just general how you feel improvements, you know, almost as like icing on the cake just by looking at those two. But those would be the first two that everybody should start with. So it sounds like those could benefit anybody at any age, but particularly relevant for seniors, it sounds like. What does the research show in that particular area about addressing the rotary centers first? Yeah, well, I think that's where for seniors, I think because the tissue does become less elastic because they do have the most years sitting at a desk and traveling. And, you know, they tend to be the most affected negatively in those rotary centers in terms of mobility. What a lot of our research is showing and a lot of what our experience is showing is most people who are tight or not that flexible, most of those limitations are not because of muscles that should be eight inches long and are now only four inches long. They're because of basically tissue that has gotten kind of duct taped together and can't move the way that it used to. And so if we can kind of rip the duct tape off, which is what a lot of the soft tissue work does, and then we can retrain the brain to actually utilize the range of motion that they just haven't used for a while, (laughs) you know, you see very quick results in terms of improved range of motion. And then in terms of improved turn in the golf swing, which in turn, no pun intended there, (laughs) which in turn then leads to them being able to swing faster, it leads to them being able to deliver the club more consistently. It leads to all these things that, uh, from a technical standpoint, you know, you hear a, a lot of talk about. So that sounds very encouraging, to say the least. Makes me want to dive a little bit deeper into some of your research, because you mentioned that answering the question why and having data to back it up, very important in challenging the status quo in your operation. And I actually first heard about you coming out of the, what's called the annual World Golf Fitness Summit, 2018. I had heard that you made a presentation there, and that led me to you in the very beginning, Chris. Can you share with the audience, without going too deep into the research, but share some of the headlines and highlights about what your research is, what you're doing with it, and particularly what's relevant to that senior population, that 50-plus population? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the main study that we presented at the Golf Fitness Summit in 2018 was really, I think the first piece was looking at, if you think of when you have a child and you have kind of what percentile height and weight is my child, we've collected over 600 data points at this point, you know, different golfers, and basically been able to establish normative values in terms of what percentile is your club head speed based on how old you are and, you know, if you're a guy or a girl. So I think that was one of the first pieces, which is a lot of golfers are really interested in just to see where they stand. Because up to this point, we would just say, you know, hey, the tour average on PGA Tour is 113 miles an hour. The tour average on the LPGA is 98 miles an hour. So I'm 68 years old and I swing, you know, 100 miles an hour. Is that good? And it would just be kind of like, uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> it's close. <laughs> but now we can tell you with pretty good certainty that if you're a 65 year old guy swinging 100 miles an hour you're in the 90th percentile for your age group so that's the sort of detail that a golfer can get kind of at a high level from there i think the other piece of the research that a lot of golfers will find important is if somebody comes up and they want to say well 
I'm 50th percentile. I'm just average. Well, if you want to get better, what should you work on to improve that? And that's where the research basically, we also identified three main rotary tests that look at power that had very high R values or correlations to club head speed. So how high you jump, a seated chest pass, so basically sitting in a chair and how far you can throw a six-pound medicine ball, and then a shot put with your right side and your left side, again, a six-pound medicine ball. How far you throw those, there are very high correlations to how far you throw those and how high you jump to how fast you swing the club. So let's say that 65-year-old guy who's swinging in the 90th percentile, let's say he wants to get to the 99th percentile. He wants more out of what he's doing. But we look at all of his physical tests, and he's in the 25th percentile for all of them. What that then allows that golfer to understand is, hey, if I'm going to swing faster, I need to improve physically. Because the only reason I'm swinging 90th percentile right now is because I have the right equipment, and I'm really technically efficient. (laughs) And I have really good mobility, probably. But when we talk about speed, basically what we found from the research is there's really only four quadrants that impact speed and performance. That's you know, what kind of equipment do you have? You know, equipment can definitely impact that, obviously. Technically, how efficient are you? You know, your sequencing and how much lag do you have, all that sort of stuff. Quality of contact obviously is going to impact how far the ball goes. And then, you know, the other two quadrants that I look at are mobility. How good is your tissue and do you have the requisite mobility for those rotary centers? And then the last one is, you know, how much power can you produce? How much force can you produce and how fast can you produce that force? And the sum of those two is how powerful or how fast you can swing the golf club. So if there's a big mismatch for the golf, you know, for your listeners in terms of what percentile club head speed they're in, and then they look at their physical markers and they see that that's way off. Well, now now we can start in the golf world to start really laser focusing on, you know, hey, you have a physical deficit here that if we really want to improve, we need to address that. Or you may see the flip of that. You may see somebody in the 50th percentile from a club at speed standpoint, and then you look at them physically and they're all in the 99th percentile. Well, you know, that person has plenty of power, plenty of horsepower, but they're not going to get it better by being in the gym necessarily. Those people are probably going to be better off looking at technical or maybe they have clubs that are 30 years old. (laughs) So it really starts to help the golfers understand and the golf instructors understand, you know, where are we going to get the biggest bang for our buck? I don't know about you, but anybody who's retired would rather be playing golf than spending lots of hours in the gym. If we can really increase the efficiency with which they're getting better and only spend the minimal required time there, then that leaves more time for them to do what they love, which is you know, they didn't work all those years to spend you know, hours and hours and hours in the gym. They worked all those years to spend those hours on the golf course with doing the things that they love. So the goal with our research is that we you know, hopefully can shine some light in terms of helping people figure out what are the things that they need to be doing and how much do they really need to do. What's the least amount they can do and still see improvement? Well, wow, you've touched on some, boy, a couple things there that that we can unpack here a little bit. But there's no question that all the seniors that I typically talk to tell me the biggest concern that they've got is that they're losing distance and that they can't recapture. Some of them just want to recapture their distance as opposed to increase it. And sounds like uh, the research that you've got gives them some benchmarks that they can compare themselves to. And then secondly, you've given them essentially a four-part prescription on what they need to optimize to be able to get the most from the distance that they have in their body. So some really exciting things there. When you talk about the actual three exercises, three power exercises, what did you see specifically that came out of that that's most 
relatable to the senior golfer in being able to increase their club head speed and subsequently their distance? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we saw, the shot put test had the highest correlation for the senior golfer. So that looks kind of at their total rotary power as opposed to you know the chest pass and the, how high somebody jumps definitely had a relationship to club head speed, you know, more so in the younger populations, particularly the vertical. But for the senior golfer specifically, the total rotary shot put was the number one in terms of the strength of correlation to club head speed. And the interesting thing is, with that being true, you know, from the research, we also saw that almost 80% of all senior golfers fail the shoulder tests. 70% or so can't touch their toes correctly. <laughs> um, you know, we look at the hip test. The majority of senior golfers fail at least one of the rotary tests, if not more. So if we're looking at the power test that has the highest relationship for a senior golfer to swing fast, is the one that looks at total rotary power. The prerequisite for that is, well, then you need to be able to rotate. And most senior golfers have lost that ability. The light at the end of the tunnel is that it's all very easily fixed. (laughs) Well, that's, uh, again, extremely encouraging to hear. The shot put test, explain that just a little more vividly for the audience that's listening. We're not talking about like they see in the Olympics, grabbing a metal ball of some sort, doing a twirl around, then shot putting the ball way up in the air. For a long distance. Is it different than that? So it's basically taking a six pound medicine ball, let's say, you know, in your right hand. The ball is in your right hand, your left side is kind of towards the target. And then basically you would just kind of load into your right side. So kind of squat down a little bit and maybe rotate a little bit. And then you just push that ball as far as you can out towards the target. There's no like big spinning rotary move. (laughs) There's a little bit of rotation to it, but you're not spinning around in a circle, you know, 360 degrees like they do in the Olympics. Yeah. So that models the rotary action that you would actually do in a golf swing. Yep. It requires the same, you know, horizontal, torsional, and vertical kinetic forces that are present in the golf swing. So why is it important to do a shot put with both right and left arm in that case? To be honest, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, there's theory out there that, you know, training the opposite side helps the nervous system to be more effective and that helps it to be overall more powerful. You know, what I do know is that it definitely has a high relationship to club head speed, how far they throw it right and left. But if I was to sit here and tell you, you know, this is why it's important, you know, anybody in the world would be lying because nobody really knows. Nobody's done the research on that really. So that's one of the things, you know, to really find out, we'd have to design training programs where some people only did left, you know, opposite side training and some people only did strong side training and see how it shook out. Some of the theory out there could be that just the better coordination that somebody has, they're going to throw it better, you know, both ways. My hypothesis is more along the lines of that. And just as somebody's coordination is better, they're going to be able to sequence better and produce more speed. And that somebody who's more balanced, you know, the hypothesis would be they're less likely to be injured. But again, those are all sports science theories, there hasn't really been any definitive proof along either of those lines. And anybody who tells you different isn't necessarily telling you the truth. (laughs) Well, your organization's continuing to gather data points on that. And sounds like we'll have even more definitive answers around it in the future. But I know typically, and even in your test, you have them shot put from the right side, the left side, so the dominant side, the non-dominant side, and getting both measurements. So in time, sounds like there may be more conclusive uh, correlation there. Yeah, we're definitely hoping so. So that's, it definitely says it's related. So if it had come back and there was no relationship at all to it, and then we'd start maybe looking down that line of, well, maybe it doesn't really matter, but 
I mean, it definitely does have a relationship, that's for sure. So we're kind of piecing a puzzle together here a little bit where typical senior golfer, if they want to increase their fitness to increase their distance, but also their longevity in golf, first of all, make sure your tissues as pliable as it can be. Secondly, check those four rotary centers. Thirdly, good correlation with the shot put power and uh, try to figure out where you stand there relation to your peers and then do a fitness program that can increase that shot put ratio a bit. That sounds maybe oversimplified, but it sounds like uh, those three areas could be very valuable for a lot of seniors. Yeah, definitely. 100%. So again, getting back to club head speed as a way to increase distance. There's a lot of talk out there about doing speed stick training, swinging these weighted sticks. There's, I think, three different ones, three different weights. You swing them in all different uh, directions, but at optimum speed and power. Sounds pretty interesting, but it looks like it could be perhaps a little dangerous for some seniors to be swinging that hard. What's your thought generally about that kind of training potentially for seniors? I think when we look at, we talk about like overspeed training, super speed sticks as one system. There's a guy out of Texas that has a system called Mach 3. I think there's danger in it and that's, I think it is very exciting how much progress we can see, you know, very quickly. And I think it's very easy to get caught up and say, oh my gosh, you know, 10 miles an hour, just like that, that's 30 yards. You know, and I've seen that with the systems, they totally work. I think it's important though, to not get caught up in the fact that thinking that these are more than tools. I think they're incredibly powerful tools and they're incredibly helpful tools, particularly for senior golfers when we employ them in the right environment. And I think that's the big danger is that we maybe can get caught up thinking that, I'm going to go get super speed sticks or I'm going to go do, you know, these different training programs. And that's going to be what I'm going to do to get better and stay fit. And if we talk about those four quadrants of speed, they simply look at that one quadrant of power and they only look at a small part of that power. And that's the nervous system and just kind of getting the nervous system to move. And if we jump right to that without first seeing what's the quality of our tissue, do you even have the ability to rotate in those four rotary centers? Do you have the strength to be able to slow down moving you know that fast if we don't check all of those boxes first there's definitely you know strong potential for people to get hurt from moving really really fast into areas where they don't have any business being it's kind of a blessing and a curse that you can see results so quickly um the blessing is it's going to be very motivating and it's going to definitely you know drive people to be compliant with it and it's it's certainly driving the speed craze that's going on right now the danger is that if you don't have that requisite mobility and you see those big gains, <laughs> now we're just swinging faster into bad movement patterns. And I've had many people who definitely got injured by going too fast too soon without first making sure that they had those mobility elements. So before you jump into any physical training program or using a physical training tool, I think you need to make sure, like we talked about in the beginning, step one and step two, do you have the mobility and is your tissue ready for that? If you check those two boxes, are you strong enough to support that? I think those tools for seniors are the most effective that we have seen as part of a comprehensive program where you're not just doing a speed stick or not just doing a Mach 3 program. Or I think when you're also looking at some good general strength training, you know, for instance, in one of our other studies, we found that a specific type of training called triphasic training actually had a 50% bigger increase in club head speed compared to just regular strength training, you know, going to the gym and doing their circuits for 10 reps, three sets. <laughs> you can actually get an even bigger increase with strength training triphasically for the senior golfer. So I think when you layer in proper mobility training, proper strength training, and then you also look at 
layering in, you know, whether it's super speed sticks or whatever your system may be, they're tools that do the same thing. If you're building a house, there's different tools that can kind of do similar things. It just depends on what tool you prefer, but they both work. I mean, the guys behind those systems are great people. I think it's just important that we look at them in the context of what they really are, and there are tools. And if we just use a tool without looking at the entire comprehensive picture, I think senior golfers in particular do run the risk of injury if they haven't checked off those prerequisites. But when used in the right environment, incredibly helpful. Doing a study now where we're actually seeing we can actually use those sticks 66% fewer swings and still get the same results. So that's when we start talking about how much time do you want to spend doing these sorts of things? We're the first ones really doing research on these. All of those systems, none of them really have any really great research behind them other than just the case studies of, hey, this person went up 10 miles an hour, this person went up six miles an hour, but we don't know necessarily why. Or So there's not any true controlled studies. That's where we're trying to do the first of those to really understand how much of these do we really need? Because a lot of those protocols really there's no true research done behind them, you know, at length, at least that's been shared publicly. So that's what we're trying to do and kind of inform the seniors that if it's part of a comprehensive program, I love the tools. I think particularly looking at minimizing how much volume seniors are doing, that makes it even better. It certainly sounds encouraging and it sounds like there's a lot of data that you're building that would show the proper way for seniors to get more involved with a fitness program and do it the right way so that they don't get hurt. I know I'm personally one of those individuals. Some people call me a type A where if five reps or five sets works great, then why don't I try double that weight? And invariably, I find a way to hurt myself. And we certainly don't want that to happen to seniors. But it sounds like there's a much more cautions warning available to any of these types of efforts or types of recommendations that your organization makes that could help seniors do it the right way. Well, it makes me wonder too, there's, you know, seniors out there can be a, sometimes a skeptical group. They've been around, they've got a lot of wisdom. They've seen things come and go. They've seen things work. They've seen things that uh, may have been highly promoted at one point, like the reverse C golf swing. And then they find out that, boy, that's terrible for the lower back. So what would you say to a senior that says, you know, all that fitness stuff is fine, but it takes a lot of time. And quite frankly, I just get my fitness out of playing more golf. And if I'm getting golf strong and golf fit, it's because I'm playing more golf. And I'm not sure that fitness is really the right way for me to go. What would you say to them to perhaps reframe their thinking a bit? I would say, here's my card. No, (laughs) (laughs) no. Talk to me, talk to me. Yeah. Talk to me when you get hurt. You know, I think it's tough because some people genetically are just lucky and they don't ever have to do anything and they play golf their entire life and they do really, really well. But I'm dealing with PJ pros now who you know, are on the kind of the last generation of guys who didn't really work out for the last 20 years and, and didn't have the trainers and the physios. And, you know, and they're hitting their 50s looking at senior tour and they're saying, well, maybe it's time I should start looking at doing this stuff because it's, you know, I got away with it for 20 years, but not really getting away with it anymore. So if the players in the top of the world are saying that and realizing that, historically, that's been enough for people to, to listen to it. <laughs> but Beyond that, I think a lot of our data and the goal of our data is to really show people that it does work. And I'm not going to lie and tell people that it doesn't take time. From a mobility standpoint, you know, I'm a huge proponent of minimal effective dose. And I think if all you wanted to do was to at least deal with step one and two, making sure the tissue is healthy and making sure your mobility is good, you, know, you can do that in 15 minutes a day. It doesn't take a ton of time to do that. You can do that 15 minutes before you head to the golf course or after you get home. And if that's all the fitness that you want to do, 
at least at that point, you're minimizing your chance of injury. You know, if somebody is looking at, hey, I really want to increase club head speed and, you know, as well as longevity, and you're looking at more getting into a comprehensive program, I would encourage them to download our research, look at the numbers. The average golfer by adding in a strength training program is going to, if the senior golfer is going to add, you know, a mile an hour, which is about three yards. And then if you layer on top of that, you know, overspeed training, you're going to tend to see even more than that. Um, significantly. And like I said, that's when you start to deal with, you know, the guy we talked about at the beginning of the show who's consistently gone up every single year for the last six years into his 70s. He's here three, four times a week. He works out an hour pretty hard when he's here and he does some mobility work in between when he's at home. So, you know, I think it does take time. I totally agree if, if that person came up to me and said, my fitness is golf. I'd say that's great. Well, I think what we need to look at is make sure you can continue doing that fitness because the fitness that golf is, is all one-sided. It's very repetitive, and the types of injuries and the things that we see that pop up for golf tend to be because of low-level repetitive injuries. <laughs> Keeping tissue healthy and making sure you have that rotary mobility are the two simplest ways to prevent those injuries, to prolong the amount of time that you can play golf, and they really don't require more than 15 minutes a day you know, if you're doing it pretty consistently. So I would just employ that senior golfer to at least take me up on that, at least commit to doing 15 minutes a day for yourself that you can rotate and so that you can stay healthy. If you want to increase speed, no, there is no quick fix. It definitely takes time, but there's lots of data and research out there that kind of the most effective ways to do that with the least amount of effort. If anyone wants to chat with me more specifically about the getting into the depth of the research we've done, you know, they can by all means just let me know. I'm always happy to share the information and, and chat with them one-on-one in terms of their specific case. I think that's a good answer, a, a good comprehensive answer. I'm really envisioning two two tracks here. One is there's that need for fitness for seniors just so they can stay healthy and play golf longer, play golf for the game that they love longer without getting hurt. Then there's also that track that says, you know, I'm losing distance, and that's a big question that a lot of seniors have. And how do I maintain that distance over time but also hopefully increase it Sounds like to do that effectively, there's no easy fix. You do have to be willing to invest some time and do the right things in terms of exercise and fitness. Yeah, I mean, I would say this: the fix is simple, but I don't know that it's easy. <laughs> it's a simple couple-step process, but it does require, you know, pretty regular commitment to it. You know, a couple times a week, and and it requires making the decision to say, I want to assess where I am, so I'm not guessing. I think that's been one of the biggest crimes of you know of our golf fitness and industry is we just kind of have guessed historically a lot we look at your swing or we look at a couple movements and we say okay well that's what i think we can do i think you know look at the actual research backed and time tested testing get assessed look at those power tests you know see where you stand in your actual demographic from a percentile standpoint and once you've done all that then if you really want to go after it then it isn't complex but it does require you know a commitment you know, to yourself to stay healthy and stay with it. Well, we could certainly spend a whole show just on talking the training side of it as well, but let's just take maybe a few minutes to talk about training. So someone is committed to getting better and getting healthier and getting stronger and getting faster and all that. They don't necessarily want to do 90 minute, two hour workouts. They'd like something much more compact and efficient. What would you typically see or recommend to a senior who wants to get started and may want to start with, let's say, 15 minutes a day or, as you said, 15, maybe 30 minutes a day? A couple things that you'd typically recommend that they must do. Uh, they would do their soft tissue work and their mobility, though. That's where they would start. And then if they have 
time beyond that, then they'd probably start with some kind of basic strength-based training, depending how much more time they wanted, then you maybe get into the power and the speed-based stuff. But that's, you know, that's the, the general format order of importance, I guess, that I would lay out because you can't have power or speed without strength, or at least not safe speed and power <laughs> without strength. Yeah, I think that's where I would, you know, it's certainly doable. We have lots of people that we work with virtually, you know, all over the world that they do 30 minutes three times a week. And that's, that's their plan. They're getting faster, they're getting better, but they're getting all of the different elements that they need to do it safely. So if you're efficient in what you're focused on in your workout plans, that sounds like it can go a long way. Yep. That's one of the biggest goals and reasons for our research is I don't want to throw 30 exercises at somebody to get a result if I only need to do three. That sounds very attractive in and of itself. So you talked about this assess, don't guess. How would somebody, if they came to you, what kind of assessments would you put them through? And I'm also thinking that if they don't live in North Carolina and they live somewhere else in the country, how might that assessment be different? Yeah, so I think in person, if you, if they're going to get a fitness assessment, they should be going to a place where they would get a you know a 3D biomechanical assessment of their swing, so they could actually measure what their body's doing in their golf swing, measure the kinematic sequence of when their hips move and their torsos and their arms and their hands, and then uh, that'd be the first piece. The second piece is they should get their mobility looked at big time, so particularly the four rotary centers. And if somebody is not local, that's one of the big things we look at with them is first and foremost all of their mobility abilities. You know, the other pieces, we look at all their power tests. So I'm looking at how well they produce that power. So we kind of get a clear blueprint of how their body moves in their golf swing. You get a clear blueprint of how their body moves from a mobility standpoint, particularly specific to golf. And then you get a clear idea of how they produce power, where they produce it better from or worse from, you know, as well as we assess, you know, core strength and just other general movements. And then from all of that, we're able to put a pretty comprehensive plan together that's pretty targeted for them. Online, we typically will start with our virtual clients with the mobility piece of it. We'll look at a lot of the movement pieces. Uh, we typically will have a lot of them do some of the power tests at home on their own. We'll kind of coach them through how to do those and measure those. And then we start building their program from there. So the only thing we really miss out on the virtual side is the 3D biomechanical assessment. You get 85-90% of what you need from a virtual standpoint. And the cool thing that we're seeing, you know, being the data geeks that we are, we're seeing very similar results online that we're seeing in person, which is very exciting for us. Excellent. So no matter where in the country, there's a way to get this sort of information. It sounds like visiting your website, taking a look at that rotary test that you offer could be a great place to start. Yeah, the home assessment is a great place to start for every golfer. Excellent. Like I say, we could spend a whole lot more time on the training aspect. Maybe at a, another opportunity, we'll do that, Chris. What I'd like to do is jump in what I call the quick take questions, questions that seniors are thinking about that certainly I hear when I'm traveling with them and playing golf with them. So I'd like to fire a couple of these. This is the idea. Give me a five, 30 second uh, quick response the best you can. And hopefully this will cover some areas that we haven't already covered. So first off, pre-warm-up activity before you go out on a golf course, what would you recommend if you have like five minutes to do that? I'd say depending on the person, either a soft tissue warm-up or a dynamic warm-up. All right. What might be one example of a soft tissue or a dynamic warm-up activity they could do? So soft tissue would be using, whether it's lacrosse balls or softballs, kind of pinning and stripping, trying to get rid of any restrictions in the tissue. So that goes back to the you know, non-elastic to elastic. And then a dynamic warm-up would be something like leg swings or standing stork turns, you know, rotating on the pelvis, just something where you're dynamically moving. You're not statically holding a stretch. So some of that could be done at home before you get out to the golf course. Some of it could be done at the golf course. Yeah, both. Yeah, depending on the course, you can do both of them. 
I see a lot of seniors when they get up there, they take a couple clubs, they just swing it back and forth. They take a couple clubs or maybe a driver and they swing it really fast. Hence, that's their warm up. What do you think of that sort of activity? It's not something I would prescribe, but it's definitely something that you see a lot. Why wouldn't you uh, support that? You're just going immediately to the, spe- the sport specific movement. I think you need to warm up movement, you know, in general, the different pieces the rotation in the hips, the rotation in the spine, rotation in the shoulders. I think you need to kind of warm up each of those, you know, as well as you can. I think you need to be focusing on any specific limitations that you may have. And then, you know, once you've addressed those, then yeah, then go to the sport specific move and, and go from there. So I think there just needs to be a little bit of priming done prior to jumping into the sport specific movement. A lot of seniors like to ride carts when they're playing golf. Uh, some of it's just, that's the only way they can get on the course and play, but riding in carts, I've found you can get kind of stiff. What might you recommend to stay loose uh, over a five hour, four hour round riding a cart? I would just say you just, you alternate with the person you're riding with. So maybe you walk one hole, they walk another hole or, you know, maybe you walk between one shot and the next from the green to the tee. You know, if you can't walk at all, you know, then I think when you're in the cart, you know, trying to do some, whether it's dynamic movements, you know, standing next to the cart, you know, those sorts of things. I think just keeping your body moving, keeping your tissue as warm as you can, that's always ideal. Any stretches that you might do when you're even riding in the cart? I guess you could do a good old lat stretch on the side of the cart or Again, the the static stretching reduces power output if you stretch too long. So that's where you really want to be doing more of the dynamic type movements, dynamic quote unquote stretches, as opposed to like static holds, if that makes sense. It does. What's the biggest fitness mistake that you see seniors making? Probably doing the workout that they saw on Golf Channel or Golf Digest or Dustin Johnson doing. They guess. I think that's the biggest mistake that I see. They don't take the time to actually assess themselves and the amount of money that a lot of golfers invest into their clubs and their memberships and their greens fees. The biggest mistake they make is they don't invest in the one thing that they use on every single hole, and that's their body. It's a pretty strong recommendation. I like it. Uh, what's your opinion of the 15th club, that being ibuprofen or some sort of a Tylenol-type product to get them through the round? I think it's a it's a great band-aid. <laughs> I think that's another misconception that a lot of seniors have is that as you get older, you just got to pop the Motrin and the ibuprofen to get around the course. And one of the most common things we see as people start to do the tissue work and mobility work is they stop needing to bring that ibuprofen bottle with them to the golf course. So, I mean, it's tough on your stomach. It's It's not normal to pop ibuprofen on the golf course. And I think people in general, but particularly senior golfers, the sooner we can get them to understand that, that that's not normal and that there's actually something wrong if you're having to do that, the better for the game, the better for the health of golfers. I think that'll be a big moment when that happens. Excellent. All right. A couple fun questions here. Favorite musical group from the 60s, 70s, and 80s? I have to go Bruce Springsteen. Got to be Bruce. How about favorite beverage after playing golf? Depends who I'm playing with, but a, a nice cold beer always tastes good. I don't know if I have a favorite type of beer, but definitely, you know, a nice cold beer just has a way of tasting really good on the patio of the clubhouse after you've played. Yeah. Bottle, can, or draft beer? I got to go draft. Excellent. Well, Chris, this has been very informative and hopefully very encouraging and inspiring for the seniors out there listening. Again, I want to thank you for being the first guest on the Senior Golfer Advisor Show. And uh, Chris, will be looking to talk to you again down the road. Again, thank you. And so for those individuals that might want to get more information, sounds like going to your website would be a good way to do that. Anything else you'd recommend? Yeah, they can go to our website. Um, 
which I'm sure you'll put in the show notes. Uh, they could also check on uh, you know any of our social media channels. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Any of the listeners are on there. We're just at par for success. It's our handle there. So I think any of those social channels or our website, very easy ways to kind of get information and, and get a hold of us if they have any questions. Of course, I went on the website before we did this interview today, and I know they can get a copy of that research report, the Research Driven Golf Performance Training Report, the very report that you presented the findings to at the World Fitness Summit. That's available to them. And there's also some other click-ons that give some interesting benchmark data that they can get access to. Yeah, yeah, that's all right there. I can send you that direct link too, so they can go right to that research page. That's all publicly available for free, and hopefully people can start to benchmark themselves and stop guessing, just kind of and really understand where they're truly at. Assess, don't guess. Chris, thank you so much for being the first guest. We'll talk to you soon. I hope you all enjoyed this interview with Chris Finn, founder of Par for Success. My key takeaway is that no matter what your age, if you're willing to invest some minimal time in your fitness beyond just simply cardio work or playing golf, you can prepare your body to increase your club head speed and reduce the risk of injury, which will add years to a healthy golf game, something I think we're all looking for. Want more info? Check out Chris at Par for Success. That's Par, the number four and success.com. Our next episode will feature Brian Sparks. He's the founder of The Easiest Swing in Golf. I think you'll find what Brian has to say, another myth buster for senior golfers. Thanks for listening to the podcast that celebrates the senior golfer. <laughs>